Thank you, praise band. Thank you for sharing your gifts and your music tonight and setting the tone for our evening service. Good to see everybody tonight. Glad you're out. Hope you had a good day. And thank you for making your way out to the church. Hey, we're already two-fifths of the way through your revival tonight, tomorrow night, and Wednesday. So make an effort to be out to each service. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, tonight. New Testament, Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8. Beginning in verse 31 and reading down through verse 38. Talking to you tonight about knowing God's will for your life, God's plan for your life. Did you know God cares what you do? You know, He cares about uh, where you go to college. He cares about who you date, who you marry. He cares about your vocation. And many people never seek God's will for their life. They just sort of haphazardly choose this and that and say, okay, I'll just do it. And it's really important that we understand what God wants us to do. Now, I don't think He answers every question. If you get to a red light and the light turns green, you don't have to pray and say, God, should I go or not go? That's dumb. You go. So things like that, God expects you to just know. But there are times in our life that we are uncertain about what God wants us to do, where He wants us to go, and what He wants us to be, what kind of work He wants us to be in. And so I want to talk to you tonight about knowing God's plan, God's will for your life, and basing it on whether you're living on your terms or God's terms. So let's read this passage. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, reading down through verse 38. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same will save it. For what would it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and then lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore should be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Stand with me, please. We'll pray together before we get started. Father, we thank You for music. It speaks to our hearts. It moves us. And we are grateful that we have it. Now, Father, it's time for the preaching of the Word. And I pray tonight that once again there will be a response at the altar at the invitation time. Folks making decisions based upon what you want them to do. God, within the sound of my voice tonight, may be some people that haven't been saved yet, and George has already challenged them with his own testimony to come and make Christ Lord. Then, God, maybe there are people in here tonight really seeking your will for their lives. Maybe you're calling someone into full-time Christian service to be an evangelist, a pastor, Minister of music, minister of youth, thousands of ways you may use someone. 
God, maybe you're speaking to people about making a change in their life. Maybe there are family issues that have to be decided, directions, courses that have to be taken, and folks are unsure tonight. Is it A or is it B? God, help them to understand tonight you care about those decisions. And now, Father, I thank you in advance for the people who come down the aisle during the invitation time making decisions for you. Not only do I believe that, but I claim that in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. You know, it's human nature for us not to like for somebody to tell us what to do or how to do it. And our first instinct is to say, well, hey man, I'll do it the way I want to do it, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. That's the way we are in our relationship with other people, and oftentimes that's the way we are in our relationship with the Lord. I had a man say to me one time, he said, Roger, I don't like it when you say you have to do certain things in the Christian life. And my response to that was, if it bothers you, you'll have to take it up with God. The Bible's written on God's terms. It's not written on mine. God already knew the ground rules He would lay down for being a follower a long time before you and I came along. The game of life is God's game. He created it. He designed it. He has every right to say what the rules will be. Now, He could have chosen to make the rules almost unbearable. But because He's a God of love and mercy and forgiveness, He really made it very simple to come to Him. The difficult part is walking with Christ once we've made a commitment to follow. The problem with way too many Christians today is this. We want to say, well, hey, now, uh, I want to be on God's team, but I don't want to be a starter. I want to be a substitute. Let me sit over here on the bench and, you know, sort of put me in in the end of the game and what I have to do or what I have to say won't have much effect on the outcome of what we're trying to do. And that's the theme song of way too many Christians today. I'll just sit and watch whether God minds or not. Now that's what it means to follow the Lord on my terms. Jesus had been around His disciples for nearly three years. They'd spent many meaningful moments together. They'd spent many trying times together. And day by day, Jesus tried to teach them who He was. And one day He said to them, Fellas, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The first person to ever make the great confession that all Christians down through the ages have made. Hey, now they knew who he was. And Jesus began to teach them about how he was going to be arrested and tried and crucified for declaring to be exactly who Peter said he was, the Son of God. Well, hey, Peter got a hold of that and he said, No way, Lord. We're not going to let this happen to you. We left everything to follow you. And if you die, everything we've done will have been in vain. We left our fishing nets. We left our homes, our friends. We left our families. We left it all behind. And if you die, then everything we've done will have been in vain. Now, Peter meant well. But do you see what he was telling Jesus? He was saying, hey, don't do it, Lord. Avoid the cross. Take the easy way out. And if Jesus had listened to Peter, there never would have been a death on the cross. There never would have been the shedding of blood. And everybody in here would have been looking for some other way of salvation. But because Jesus was obedient to His heavenly Father's will, He took your place and mine on the cross of Calvary. You see, when Jesus got down on His knees the night before His crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, He was wrestling with something, and here's what Jesus was wrestling with. Am I going to do this thing on my terms, or am I going to do this thing on my heavenly Father's terms? And you remember how His prayer went? It went something like this. He said, Lord, if there's any other way to do this other than the cross, let's do it. But above all else, God, let what you want to take place in my life take priority over what I want to take place. 
Now, Christians, till you and I can get to the point in our life that we can pray that prayer and mean it, God, I want what you want for me more than what I want myself, we're going to miss out on a whole lot that God has in store for us. So I'm thankful tonight for a Savior who is committed to following God's will, even at the cost of his own life. Well, let's go back to old Peter for a few moments. Peter thought he knew more about the Lord's plan than the Lord himself. And he said, no way, Lord, we're not going to let this happen to you. Jesus said, Peter, you don't know what you're saying. What you're asking me to do, it'll cost you everlasting life. You see, as long as Peter wanted to live on his terms, run the show, call the shots, be in charge, be top dog, he was nothing more, the Bible says, than a hindrance and a stumbling block. As a matter of fact, Jesus went so far as to say, Get thee behind me, Satan, to this man named Peter. That's a pretty serious statement to make to a believer, is it not? Do you realize Jesus would say the same thing to you and to me tonight? If we say, now, hey, Lord, I'm already saved, but you need to understand something. I run the show in my life. I'll determine, I'll make the decision, I'll decide where I go and what I do. That's up to me to decide. And Jesus would say the same thing to you and to me tonight. If it has to be on your terms, if you're running the show in your life, Jesus would say, please, get out of the way, because you'll be more of a hindrance than a help in the work of the kingdom. You see, not only do we come to the Savior on His terms, we must follow on His terms as well. What are those terms? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Jesus spoke these words to the people. He said, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, folks, Jesus never tried to trick, bribe, or manipulate anyone into following him. He just simply said, these are my terms, and whether or not you meet them, that's up to you. You remember over in John 6, 66, Jesus had laid down what they call a hard, a difficult saying about being the bread of life. And the Bible says that from that time on, many of His followers turned and walked with Him no more. They left. John 6, 67 does not say, and Jesus chasing and running after them said, Come back, don't leave. I'll, I'll do what I'll lessen the demands. I'll make it simpler. I don't want you to leave the church. Come back. Whatever it takes, come back. No. Jesus cut his losses and he watched those people walk away that day. Not only did he walk, watch them walk away, he turned to his disciples, his closest followers, and he said, Hey guys, do you want to go also? Because if you do, you better get while the getting's good. And Peter said, No, Lord, to whom should we go? For we've come to know and understand and believe that you have the words of eternal life. And I think we'll just stick with you. So let's understand something. Jesus never tried to trick, bribe, or manipulate anyone into following him. He just simply said, These are my terms. Whether or not you meet them, that's up to you. Three major things said by Jesus in this passage. Here comes the first one. The first thing He said we're to do is to deny ourselves. Now what in the world is self-denial? Can you deny that you're here tonight? And the answer is obviously no because we see one another. So then what is self-denial? Self-denial is saying no to ourself and yes to Christ. It is letting those things that we think we just have to do, those things we think our children, our grandchildren, our teenagers, those things we just have to be involved with, it's letting those things take a back secondary role, a back seat, so that we can make following Christ the top priority of our lives. Someone has said that you and I as Christians need to be wired for 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Crucified with Christ, yet not I live, but Christ liveth in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who died and gave Himself for me. Second, Jesus says we're to take up our cross. Notice our Lord never asked us to do anything He wasn't willing to do Himself. 
In other words, he's not asking anybody in the building to die on a cross tonight. You don't have to do that. He's not asking you to do that. We don't need another Calvary. We don't need another Pentecost. What Jesus did there that day was good for all men, for all women, for all boys, for all girls, for all time. We don't need that to happen again. So he's not asking anybody to die on a cross. But what he is asking us to do is this to die to our self-will of living life the way we want to live it. Surrender our wills to Him and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but because You say so, I will do it. You remember the disciples had been out uh, fishing one night. Hadn't caught the first fish. It's early the next morning. Jesus is standing on the shoreline and sort of paraphrasing what He said. He cupped His hands and said, Hey, you guys caught anything? No, Lord. Hadn't caught the first fish. Put your net on the other side of the boat. Put your net on the other side of the boat. Oh, I know how we Baptists would have responded to that. Why, Lord, we're tired, we're cold, we're hungry, we've been out here all night, what do you expect out of us? But one of them said this, said, Nevertheless, Lord, at your word, because you say so, we will let down the nets. And when they put down the net on the other side, do you remember what happened? Well, there's not a fisherman here in Bristol got a bigger tale to tell than this one. The Bible says they caught so many fish, about sank the boat and broke the net. Now circumstances said don't do that. Circumstances said hadn't had any sleep, hadn't had anything to eat, hadn't seen our family, and hadn't had the first strike. Boy, so let's pack it in and go home. And one of them says, but nevertheless, at your word, because you say so, we will let down the net. And a great blessing awaited them. You say, well, that's a nice little fish story. What's that got to do with my life? Well, I'll tell you what it's got to do with your life. There's going to be a lot of times in your life and mine God's going to lead us to do some things, to make some changes in our life, and we're not going to be able to understand the reason why He wants us to do them. And we're going to have to decide if we're going to take Him at His word, or we're going to let circumstances dictate to us what we do or what we do not do. In other words, uh, what if everybody in the community says, don't do it, and yet you've got this gut feeling, this is exactly what God is leading me to do. Are you going to do it or not? There are people who stay in jobs, 20, 30, 40 years, and they hate what they do. And they know that they could be doing something else, and they know there's something else out there for them, but they're afraid. They ask questions. They think, I could do it. I said, but I couldn't handle the change in the income. What if this didn't work out? What if we had to move? What if that didn't work out? And they begin to rationalize all these things, and they talk themselves out of it, and they never seek God's will about it. And maybe God is leading them and saying to them, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to be. I believe the same is true as far as being called into ministry. There are people, I believe, being called into ministry who are not responding to the call in ministry. In Baptist life, in just Virginia in particular, we're going to run into a shortage of pastors uh, in the next 10 or 15 years. Not near as many young people today are surrendering to the call to preach the good news. Not near as many. And we need men and we need people who are willing to stand up and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and share what God has called them to share. We need folks who are willing to surrender to that call. And so there may be some people here tonight, more than one, maybe three, four, five, God's speaking to you about your life, about a change in your life, about what you might do and how God may use you. He may lead you to move to a new location, take a lateral move, sell your company, sell your business. You say, well, it'd be stupid for everybody in here to go in tomorrow and turn in their resignation, turn in their pink slip and say, I quit. And you're right, it would be. But guess what? God may be calling somebody to do that. What you have to decide is, God, am I going to take you at your word? 
Am I going to let circumstances dictate to me? Am I going to let people decide for me whether I do or whether I don't? Or am I going to hear your voice and you're leading me to do it? And I believe with all my heart, this is my gut feeling, God, you're calling me to do this. And by faith, I'm going to step out and do it. Listen to me. I think the safest place you'll ever be in in the center of your life is in the center of God's will for your life. And the most uncomfortable place you'll ever be is out of the center of God's will for your life. You know how I know that? Hey, man, I've been in both places. That's how I know that. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You can be smack dab in the center of God's will for your life and face some of the most difficult trials of your life. It doesn't mean that it's trouble free and nothing bad ever happens because you're in the center of God's will for your life. But you'll be able to get through and God will help you and lead you and guide you. The most important thing is finding, God, what is it you want out of my life? I remember reading in our uh, Foreign Mission magazine, Commission magazine, about a young girl by the name of Libby Baxter. Libby was 16 years of age. She felt a call in her life to be a missionary. She came forward and she shared that with her church, that God was calling her to be a missionary. pastor shared it with the church. Everybody rejoiced, hugged on Libby, and Libby made plans to become a missionary. Then, two years later, she graduated from high school. She went off to college. She got into the drinking and drugs and the party scene and got away from the Lord and got out of fellowship with the Lord and all of a sudden just didn't have that desire anymore to be that uh, person God was calling her to be. Her mom and dad prayed for her, never gave up on her. She came home one weekend and when she came home, her dad said, uh, Libby said, we're having a revival at the church. Would you go with me to the revival? Sure, Dad, I'll go with you to the revival service. So they went to the revival and lo and behold, this young girl who sensed that call as a missionary goes to the revival, and that particular night, they had a different speaker every night, and that particular night, a missionary was speaking. And the young girl resensed that call in her life. And she went home that night at about 3 o'clock in the morning. She and her mother were praying, and she stopped and she talked to her mom, and she said, you know, I, I've always wanted to go, but I didn't want to go as a, as a single adult. I wanted to go married. And she said they continued to pray and it was as if God spoke to her and said, Libby, just trust me. It'll all work out. Just trust me. And Libby said, all right, God, I'll trust you. And today Libby Baxter serves as one of our foreign missionaries. But her mother said something. Don't miss this now. Listen to what her mother said. Her mother said, God has taken our greatest treasure to the mission field. And with her goes our heart. And then she said this, but I'd rather have my daughter halfway around the world in the center of God's will for her life than living right here in my house out of the center of God's will for her life. Now, let me tell you something, Christians. There are going to be some times in your life God's going to lead you to do some things and to make some changes and decide about His plan and His will for your life and you're going to have to decide God, is your word enough for me or not? Well, Jesus said this in verse 34. He said, if you're coming after me, you must follow me. You must get in the game. You can't just sit on the bench. For if you're just going to sit on the bench in God's game, you just well be up in the stands where people pay to be entertained. And if you want nothing more than entertainment, and by the way, I find that a lot of times. There are a lot of folks who come to church for nothing more than entertainment. And basically what he's saying here is this. If you want nothing more than entertainment, man, get you a seat in the grandstand where the majority of people are always going to be. But if you're willing to do what God wants you to do, if you're really seeking God's will for your life, come, take up your cross, and follow the Master till the game of life is over. 
Jesus met a man on the road one day, and the man said, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Wherever you lead, I'll go. And you'd have thought Jesus would have got all excited and said, hey, we'll take everybody we can get. But Jesus rebuked the man. He said to the guy, he said, have you counted the cost? Do you realize what's going to take to follow me? And apparently the man said, no, thank you, and went back home. Oh, at first he was all gung-ho. Oh, this is Jesus, my buddy. I'll follow him anywhere. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And Jesus said, sir, the road I'm traveling on is going to the cross. And if you follow me, you may not eat three good meals a day. And you may not have a place to lay your head at night. Now, knowing what you know, do you still want to follow? And he said, no, thank you. You see, I think that old boy meant well. But Jesus knows the difference between a fan and a follower. Now, let me give you an example. I'm a diehard sports fan, okay? That's my passion. I'm, when I'm not preaching, but I'm watching a ball game. That's what I'm doing. I love sports. I love high school and college basketball and football. I'm a diehard Virginia Tech fan. Go to all the games. Man, I love it. It's my, everybody ought to have a positive addiction. I got one, I'll tell you. I got me a good one. I don't do drugs or drink or anything like that, but boy, I'll sit down and watch a ball game in a heartbeat. All you got to do is ask me. Now, I've been a fan all my life, and I know what fans do at ball games. And uh, when I go and uh, we see, uh, see our local high school team and they run for a touchdown or they win the game, well, man, I can cheer with the best of them. I can, all right, hey, 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 man, I know how to make a fool out of myself at a ball game. You wouldn't know me at a ball game. You might not want to know me at a ball game. So I, I, I know how to Ray Roth when we score, but you know what else I can do? When the other team scores or we fumble the ball, you know what else I can do? I can boo and hiss with the best of them. You know why? Because I'm a fan. And I know what a fan does. Now, I've made a correlation between fans at ball games like me and fans who come to churches. And here's the correlation I've made. Fans at ball games and fans at churches are doing things like this. They're saying things like, well, if I was the coach of that team, this is a play I'd have run. If I was the preacher down there at that church, this is what we'd have been doing. But you know what I notice about fans at ball games and fans in churches? They're always passing opinion from afar. But you don't ever see them down on the ball field of life. Jesus said, look, I don't need fans. I don't need people to stand and applaud me. I don't need people to boo and hiss me. Jesus said, I need people who are willing to get down here in the dirt with me and do the things that are required in ministry to make this local New Testament church be everything God wants it to be. Members of Kingsway Baptist Church, are you a fan? Or are you a follower? Have you jumped in feet first and given your all in service? Are you applauding the work? Are you booing and hissing the work? Are you in the middle of what's going on here? There's a big difference between a fan and a follower, and Jesus knows the difference. Our Lord went on to say this, Whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, the same shall save it. Folks, God gives us life to spend, not to keep. And if our sole purpose is to make life as long and as trouble-free as possible, and the only efforts we ever make are for ourselves. We're losers in God's game of life. You want to be a winner in God's game of life? Then do something for the men, the women, the boys, and the girls that Christ died for. People say to me, said, man, I don't find any fulfillment in my marriage, in my recreation, in my work. I just don't find any fulfillment. Hey, you want to find real fulfillment in life? Lose yourself in telling others about Jesus Christ. It's the greatest fulfillment you'll ever know. And then there are other people, the Bible says, it says this. If I had enough security around me, I'd build a wall around myself and I'd be saved. And Jesus says, how silly. For what would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Let's put that in good old cornbread and tater eating language we can all understand. You know what he was saying? What good would it be to own half of Bristol, Virginia and die and go to hell? We can all get our arms around that, can't we? You see, when you get down to brass tacks, there's no such thing as financial security. Nobody in here has it. I don't care how much money you got. You don't have financial security. Nor do I. There's no such thing as job security. There's no such thing as health security. The only security this world has to offer is found in the cross where Jesus says, come as you are, and I'll give you everlasting life. You say, man, what are you talking about? I've invested my money wisely. I work out at the gym or the YMCA. Hey, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I go to the YMCA. There's nothing wrong with investing your money. But listen, you drop dead tomorrow. Who's going to care you are a top investor? Who's going to care you are in great physical shape? The only thing that's going to matter is you've gone out into eternity to meet God and you'll be one or the other, saved or lost. James says, what is your life? It is a mist or a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Go home tonight, get you a tea kettle. Set it up on the stove, cut the iron high. Watch the mist, watch the steam come up out of that kettle. You see it for a few moments and then what happens? Without any warning, it just cuts off. It's gone. James says, your life and my life are like that. We're laughing, breathing, fellowshipping, singing, and then one day... Our heart beats for the final time. And then, eternity, eternity, eternity. And the only thing that will matter in that moment is, whose terms were you living on? Your terms or God's? You see, the world says success is important. We've been told that since we were little kids. Oh, climb that corporate ladder, make all the money you can, whatever it takes, get to the top. That's a success. I'm telling you tonight that success is finding Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, leading your family and friends and co-workers to do the same thing. If you do that, no matter what else you do in your life, you will have been a success. And failure is having it all, doing it all, seeing it all in your lifetime and never having met the Master in a personal saving relationship. You see, in the end, the question we'll have to answer is not what did anybody else think about my life, what God think about my life. We'll close with this illustration. The story is told of a 20-year-old young man who one night was in a gang fight with a rival gang from across town. The young boy was cut on the neck with a knife, taken to the hospital room and operated on. In that same room with him that evening was an old man who lay critically ill. And the old man listened as the 20-year-old boy retold the story to his mom and dad of what had happened to him. When the mother and father left the hospital room, the old man slowly made his way out of the bed, came over to where the young boy was, and said, Son, I, I heard what you had to share tonight about that fight. God sure was with you, wasn't he? Would you like me to read a passage out of the Bible? Would you like me to say a short prayer just to thank God that you didn't get killed in that fight tonight? The young boy said, Look, I don't care what you've got to say, and I really don't care what's in that Bible of yours. If you don't mind, just leave me alone. The old man closed his eyes, and he began to pray, and he said this. He said, Now, Lord, I'm well aware that my life is about over. And if somehow I'd help this young man, I'm ready to go. God, if it's beneficial to him in any way, I'm ready for you to take me. Finished that short prayer. Ladies' Bible by the boy's nightstand. Got back in his bed. Early the next morning, the nurse came in the room. The young boy woke up and noticed the bed across the way was empty and just sort of sarcastically said, Hey, that old man go home? And she said, You might say that. Said he died this morning about 4.30. Young boy said he looked at the Bible by his nightstand and thought about the prayer that old man of God had prayed for him just hours before and it cut him from the top of his head to the tip of his feet. Over a period of time, he became a Christian. Today, he's one of our Southern Baptist pastors. You say, how'd that happen? 
It happened because somebody in the church wasn't ashamed to get down on his or her knees and show some concern over somebody who didn't know Christ as Savior. Members of Kingsway, when's the last time your heart was broken? When's the last time a tear or tears ran down your face because someone you know, someone you care about, is in danger of dying without Jesus Christ? You say, well, a fan wouldn't do that. and Maybe you'd be right, but a follower would. Are we going to meet Jesus empty-handed one day? Are we going to say, Lord, hey, I sat in the grandstand all my life. When they did well at the church, I applauded them. And when they didn't do the way I liked it, I told them about that too. Or are we going to bring some trophies of grace to ladies' feet and say, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to have served you in my lifetime? The Master is saying to you, and He's saying to me also, come, take up your cross, and follow me. Now what we have to decide is whose terms is that going to be on? Who's going to run the show in your life, Christian? Who's going to call the shots and be in charge? Do you care? Does it matter to you tonight that God has a plan for your life? Does that matter to you? There's something He wants you to do with your life. And I'm not saying you're not in the center of God's will for your life. You're the only one who can know that. God will use other people. He'll use circumstances. He'll use books. He'll use Sunday school lessons. He'll use sermons. He'll use thousands of things to confirm to us where He wants us to be and what He wants us to do. But it's up to us individually to decide. There's one thing I can know for sure. It's God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. That part of God's will, I do know that He wants everybody saved. But once you are saved, it's up to you to discover God's plan your life and you need to seek him about that you were made for a purpose you are here for a reason as I shared in my testimony last night when the guy said evangelist was speaking and he said and I was listening he said if you're not where you ought to be it might take quitting your job it might take moving it might take doing something entirely different than you're now doing. And that phrase, 35 years later, sticks in my mind. I now say that same thing to you tonight. If you're not doing what God wants you to do in your vocation and where you are and what He would have you to do, it might take quitting your job, doing something different, moving. It might take going to college. It might take going to seminary. It might take moving away. It may mean a lateral move. It may mean selling your house. It might mean going to a certain college. Do you know and do you care that God has a plan? God has a will for your life. You say, well, I'm, uh, I'm 55, 65, 70, you know. That's fine for somebody 30, but uh, I'm a little bit older. That's really not for me, for God to have a plan for my life. Yes, it is. If you've got breath in your lungs, God's got a plan for your life. And it might be doing exactly what you're doing, but it may mean switching course, doing something entirely different. 
whose terms are you living on? Yours or God's? If everybody says you're a fool, you can't do it, and God says do it, are you going to listen to everybody? Or are you going to listen to God? Come. Take up your cross. And let's go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Now in the quietness of this moment, stir hearts and lives. I pray that in just a few moments, some great decisions will be made for you. Folks will step out in faith, seeking your will for their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Very quietly and very reverently now, in the most special time of our service, we're getting prepared for the invitation time. In a few moments, we're going to be singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. The words will be up on the screen. If you need your brown book, it's in page 305, but the words will be on the screen. But before we sing, I want to talk to you about the invitation. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for listening. Now, this is crunch time. This is when people can respond to the Word of God. You've heard what I had to say. Now it's time to respond. Not to me, but to respond to what God has said to you through the spoken Word. First part of the invitation. In just a moment, your pastor, Brother Todd, will be here at the front and I'll sit down. I'll be out of the way. If you're here tonight and you've never come to give your heart to Jesus Christ, I hope you'll come tonight. That much I can assure you, that's God's will for your life. He wants everybody saved. I know that much. And if you've never come publicly to receive Christ, would you step out in faith tonight and make that commitment? Talk to your pastor. He'll pray with you. He'll counsel you right here. And you can be saved tonight like so many others have down through the years right here in this church. You can be saved. 9 or 10, 15 or 20, 60 or 70 makes no difference. If you need Jesus, you come. Second part of the invitation. Some of you here tonight, maybe God's dealing with you about joining this church. You've been visiting here at Kingsway, but you've not put your membership here. I don't have any idea whose membership's here and whose is not, but if yours is not and God is calling you here, I invite you to consider putting your membership here. You ought to have your membership in the church you're going to attend regularly and faithfully, and if that happens to be King's Way, then I encourage you to make that commitment tonight. Third part of the invitation. I've talked about knowing God's will and God's plan for your life tonight. I want to know are there some Christians this evening who very humbly would step out in faith and either come and pray with your pastor, maybe God will lead you to come to the altar, but if you need to pray with your pastor, he'll be here about God's will for your life, for the future of your life. What's He want? God, what do you want? Where do you want me to go to school? God, should I date this person? Should I not date that person? How about my marriage, Lord? God, is that the person you'd have me to marry? God, would you have me to leave my job? Sell my business? Pack it all in? Are you calling me to a new location? God, what are you leading me to do? And I want to know are there some Christians who really care enough about whatever God's will is for your life to come and pray about it tonight and take it very seriously that God has a plan for the rest of your life whether it's one day or a hundred more years whatever it is what's God want out of your life so who'll step out in faith tonight and come and simply say I'm seeking God's will for my life I want to know God what do you want from me what do you want me to do what course do you want me to chart I will follow you. But God, please, you've got to show me. And over a period of time and events and 
different circumstances and through the course of things happening, He'll reveal His will, His plan to you. He doesn't automatically write it out and just say, okay, here's exactly what I want you to do. Sometimes He asks you to take step A. And all you can do is walk in the light that you've been given at a certain time. And until the light shines again, you have to be there. And then He leads you over here. And you take step B. And eventually the light shines somewhere else. You can only respond to the light that has been shed in your life. Sometimes there are moments of darkness. And we don't know what to do. But when He sheds those moments of light, it's time to move. It's time to go. It's time to do what He wants us to do. So who will come tonight? What Christian will come tonight? Just simply praying, God, show me Your will for my life. That's the three parts of the invitation. You need to join this church, you come. Or if you need to be saved, you come. Please, we beg you to come if you need Jesus. If you'll come seeking His will for your life, husband, wife, mom, dad, son or daughter, do you know and do you care? God has a plan for your life. If that matters, you come. As we stand together, Rick leads us. Let's sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning I have this
Turn. 